Good afternoon, everyone. This is another episode of the Off Topical Podcast. I'm Gardner. And I'm Ryan. And today we're going to be talking about uh, things that irritate us or things that we just want to talk about. We're, we're not going to do some news stories. We're just going to rant for a little bit. Uh, so we hope you enjoy this kind of mix-up of the format. Um, Ryan, what do you want to rant about, my friend? I think I want to rant about the metaverse. The I, metaverse? Yeah, there's there's a story that I read the other day about, I think it was yesterday, about Facebook wanting to change the name of the company and they're very focused on this idea that they're going to be a metaverse company and so that's a lot of the reasoning that was given behind the name change in the article and so i i started thinking about the metaverse and then i thought about it some more and some more and i want to rant about it today nice okay and i wanted to talk about um Linus Sebastian's selection of desktop environments and why I think it might be a detriment to his experience. Um, yeah. Before we get into any of that, though, and I piss off a lot of KDE fans, uh, I wanted to let you all know that uh, the last couple of episodes I've been asking if you guys, you know, reach out. If you want to let us know what you're thinking, send us an email at show at offtopical.net. Well, I somehow screwed up and there was the mx record for uh the for the uh offtopical.net domain didn't contain an mx record so uh i have fixed that and if you send us a message we'll actually get it this time um sorry if you tried to send us an email and it didn't go through that's my bad uh but now you can send if you if you want to uh send all of your anger and rage to me about my thoughts or if you want to let uh Ryan know just how uh, eloquent and and smart his take is on the metaverse send us a, send us an email show at octopical.net uh without with that without further ado Ryan let's talk about uh the metaverse shall we do it So my thoughts here are, uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg is right. I do think that the metaverse and the ability to, in my, in my imagination, what the metaverse means is that you have, uh, well, what I want and what I think it will be, I'll, I'll kind of lay out both. Okay. And also kind of describe this concept concept of the metaverse. I imagine most of our audience knows what the metaverse is. But here's the really simple take. Um, the metaverse is a digital, uh, usually 3D um, rep- representation of a... It's a digital universe in which you can move between activities or games or environments and but you maintain your digital assets between those environments so one depiction of this is in ready player 1 where the everybody's like in this virtual world and they switch between activities, be it games or work or school, and they maintain all of their digital assets, such as like their avatars, clothing or equipment or items or whatever 
you know, and they they have all these unique properties and they they're persistent. Um, another place where which a lot of people talk about when they talk about the metaverse is like Fortnite, and you're jumping between activities. Granted, it's still all within the same quote unquote universe, but you're maintaining su- some things such as your appearance and the items, the other items that you have that change your appearance. Um, I think that the metaverse, uh, as Mark Zuckerberg imagines it is this, um, Facebook horizons, uh, initiative that he has going, which is this world that acts as the basis, this horizons, it's not a world set of technologies, whatever you want to call it. And then you can build experiences on top of that. Mm. And it's intended to be experienced through VR. And in his imagination, that's the basis for building this metaverse. Now, I actually haven't done my homework as good as I should have because I wanted to see what level of interoperability it has with potentially other implementations of a quote-unquote metaverse. And Mm. uh, I just don't know the answer to that. But I do know that there has been some proposed standardization around a metaverse in which they're uh, to like the IEEE. uh, Is the IEEE the Internet Engineering Task Force, IETF maybe? I don't remember the standards body. But uh, there have been some proposals there as far as what a metaverse would look like and what the standards would be, for instance, for... Uh, how they would communicate with one another or how the different uh, virtual worlds would communicate with each other and share uh, digital assets and all of that, Um, which is the world I want to see. Like I do not want to be stuck on a Facebook platform or whatever he changes the name of the company to. Right. Um, but I do think that the concept itself will happen. And I do think that there will be uh, winners and losers. And I hope that the winners in this case are uh, open standards and the ability for people to not get locked in to one specific implementation of what a metaverse can be. Yeah. Um, but I'm also I'm I'm open to see how stuff like uh, Horizons develops. So I'm not hopeful that it will turn out good. <laughs> but uh. I guess I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see any implementation of this idea, uh, just out of personal curiosity. Mm. Okay. See, I th- I hear like metaverse, and I see the current state of the internet as it is with like you know especially the mobile web, and I'm like, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, as as a web designer, like by trade, I find that like the mobile web is 
the worst thing. It, it's, it's so gross to me. Like, not, the whole user experience is just filled with these, uh, anti-user paradigms. Be it like, you know, you go, you go to a re- recipe website and, uh, you see like a hundred pop-ups on the screen at once. Like, uh, it's, it's just, it's insane. And I just like think metaverse and I think, you know, that's going to be what the metaverse is, right? Like no matter where you mm-hmm. go, you're going to be getting like these anti-user, like it's like, unless you pay a certain amount, you, you have like certain features disabled. Like you can't walk in this server. You know what I'm saying? Like you can only teleport or whatever it might be to just to frustrate the user enough that they pay money to get features that they should have out of the box. And I just, I see yeah. that being like where Facebook's metaverse would end up being, um, you know, like Facebook, like Facebook itself probably would be a great experience. Like if you were doing something in a, in a Facebook app, right. It would probably be like, free for the most part except for maybe like cosmetics or whatever and then you'd have a pretty good experience um but then everywhere else you would try to go i would think would just be terrible um yeah i don't know so but do you think it's inevitable the thing is is i think that it will probably be hmm, what do i want to say here i think it's likely that the metaverse will be detrimental for humanity. <laughs> yes. But do I think that it's going to happen and it's going to become a, if not one of the primary ways of inter- interacting over, you know, what we would call the internet over this giant network we've built across the world. I think it will be one of the main ways in which people interact with each other um, virtually. But do I think it'll be good for for humanity or a good a consistently good experience i don't i don't know i mean that i i'm very much more skeptical about that yeah um, i so you ask if i think it's inevitable um yeah. i don't think that it's inevitable within our lifetime i think that like i think that it's definitely going to be a thing and it might become popular uh, in like the developed world, especially as climate change continues to like screw us, right? Like the only place that you'll get any respite from, you know, climate change is going to be through these kind of holodeck simulations. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, and that's sad and terrifying, but like the rest, I don't think that like it's going to consume the entirety of mankind. Um, not in our lifetimes, definitely. Um, and not if someone starts a religion that is against the metaverse, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that should be a thing. Why isn't that a thing? Oh, it'll, it'll come. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they'll have to start a religion. I think it'll probably you know, become a part of an existing set of beliefs. Oh, but yeah. yeah. The uh yeah. I it'll definitely happen. Um so I lately I don't know if I've talked about this that much on here and I guess that's what makes this a good segment to be able to just rant. 
So I'm tech skeptical now. Uh, I would say more than I was in the past, but I wasn't really all that tech skeptical in the past. Like pretty much everything that came out, I was like, this is fine. This is good. You know, this is interesting, whatever. Um, Not to say that I didn't think some things were bad. I did think Facebook was bad long before it became, you know, a popular thing to believe. Yeah. But generally when it came to just the underpinnings of the technology or the tech companies, I guess the underpinning technology that has allowed us to create the experiences we do today. Generally I've been pretty open to that. Like, Hey, this is very cool. This is awesome. I guess I still feel that way. Like if we just talk about VR and we talk about the use cases for that. And then, of course, all of the um, decentralized uh, stuff. And even, I hate to use this term, but NFTs that might underpin the some of the avatar stuff in a, in a uh, yeah. metaverse. I, I can see that's still interesting to me. That's still interesting to discuss. Uh, what the change that happened to me is that I don't think our current implementation of all this technology is all that healthy. No. Uh, yeah. And exactly like for your mind, for your body, uh, it's just not, it's just not healthy. Like we don't have the best implementation of all this cool technology that we, that underpins the stuff, be it Facebook or be it uh, Oculus or be it, you, you can just name a hundred things. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so because of that, I've been very tech skeptical lately. I've been removing apps from my phone, apps that I use a lot, but that I don't think are healthy for me, that yeah. I don't think improve my life. Um, and so that, that's the saddest part of this story is I'm excited for the technology that will create the metaverse. And I'm excited at the possibilities of the metaverse, but I'm also pretty pessimistic that we'll get something good out of it. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with uh, a lot of what you're saying. Like I've become somewhat of a tech skeptic as well. Um, you know, there was, there was something I was going to rant about and then I changed my mind, but it was like the, um, these doctors in the U S and the UK, uh, looked at, uh, saw a rise in the number of, um, young, like teenage girls who were developing ticks and they weren't sure why, like it was a much higher rate than should be normal. Right. And, uh, what they found was that these, these girls were watching, uh, TikTok and and like watching these uh Tourette influencers on TikTok and like we're developing um like sociogenic tics <laughs> like because they were watching yeah. other people do it and they're not developing uh Tourette's they're developing uh a tic and it's something that can be treated with just with therapy but it's like 
like you were saying, it's like we don't have the healthiest versions of these apps or services. And it's, I think that it has to do similarly to like big tobacco in the nineties, right? It's like they all knew that their product was addictive and they did things to make their product more addictive. And, um, they couldn't be like trusted to regulate their own industry. Um, because, you know, profits were more incentivizing than, uh, not profits, right? So the idea right. of like Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and all, I mean, all these other applications, all these other companies, they are deliberately making their apps more addictive, more engaging and trying to, um, you know, maximize their profits. Can you blame a company for trying to maximize their profits? No. But when it's at the detriment of, of individuals, of society at large, uh, then there needs to be actual regulation going on. Uh, and you know, people are going to say, Oh my God, like free speech. Like we need, you know, what about free speech? And it's like free, free, free speech is great. But like, what about, uh, free speech for, Cigarette companies, they're not allowed to advertise anymore. I don't think there's a, such a thing as uh, free paid speech. Like, you just can't have it. And so Facebook, they decided that their industry was going to be, uh, you know, letting people, giving people a platform to say whatever they want. But regulating the platform is not the same thing as, uh, you know, censoring the people on the platform. And if you, if you say Facebook, you're not allowed to have like buttons anymore, or you're not allowed to have like the share button, uh, underneath each post, that's not limiting people's free speech. That is, uh, you know, doing things, uh, of course, you know, limiting the kinds of user interfaces that Facebook is allowed to use. That's, you know, you'd have to do that with, with a measure of scientific, you know, and, and mental health research, but limiting holding them accountable, you know, holding them accountable would be a good thing too in that. uh, Sorry, I just wanted to hop in here. Yeah. Today I heard this really interesting take, you know, section 230, which is the, are you familiar with section 230? Uh, That's the one that like the safe harbor provision. Yeah, it's like you can if you're you can allow user content on your platform and you don't have to accept responsibility for it. Right. Essentially. But somebody brought up something interesting. If your algorithms are if your if how you, you know, select what content is shown to the user um promotes, you know, certain thing that's kind of like et- editorializing and of course. in some ways that should hold you accountable for what the content is because it's no yeah. longer just some random content that's sitting out there. Um, but you're actually kind of picking, you know, the content that's showed to users and you have some level of ownership over that content. And so what I'm saying, I guess, is that once you start doing stuff like that, it's no longer even, you shouldn't even be protected anymore from the content on your platform, because that's part of the problem is, is that incendiary content, content that's got this kind of outrage factor is being selected by the platform, even if it's not a human being. And 
raised up and said like, Hey, this, this is you, you will really like this content. Um, you will really engage with this content. Right. And, uh, that's not exactly unbiased user generated content, just sitting on the platform at that point. Right. Um, it's like, there's a, it's like what you're saying. Like there's a difference between like, if you go to a, a website that has news articles and you scroll down to the bottom and you see a, a, uh, a simple list of all the comments that people have left, a list that is organized only by the, the date that it was posted. Right. That's different right. from what Facebook does, where it has, you know, this algorithm that is designed to show you content that's going to make you feel outrage or make you feel a certain way in order to can keep you on the platform, keep you scrolling through the content in your timeline. And, uh, and from, from yeah. not just from people you're subscribed to or follow, but also from, uh, you know, pages that ha- you've interacted with, but never decided to see more of their content. And that you're absolutely right about that. There needs to be accountability in the way that these companies push content into our faces. And, you know, until that happens, I think that the metaverse is a very dangerous idea. And even if it, even if like there's regulation, um, I still think that the metaverse is a very dangerous idea. Like, uh, it just so, boggles my mind. Well, there's one question before we move on from this rant that I have for you. Okay. Are you hopeful about anything with the metaverse? Can you see the metaverse being a net good in in some way? Probably not, no. <laughs> okay, is there anything that's exciting about it if you, let's say that you would just put the bad stuff out of our head like is there anything that's interesting or exciting about it i mean there there are aspects of it that i find interesting like the idea of having a holodeck type scenario where you can you know go into the go into a holodeck and i mean it would in all plausible forms it wouldn't be a holodeck it would be more like the matrix where you plug into the matrix and uh um i find that idea horrifying um but the idea (laughs) the idea of like uh the idea of being able to like exist in a space other than the one you're currently in is kind of intriguing um and being able to like play games that give you full range of freedom or even like games that like break laws of physics, you know, that seems really interesting. But at the same time, I wouldn't even trust something like that if Valve developed it, you know, like Valve, I know Valve are working on brain computer interfaces and I would never, I will never ever put like uh, some kind of augmentation in my brain, unless it's for like a prosthetic limb or something. And even then I would probably be pretty skeptical of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't see it as a good thing. I see it as, as pretty terrifying. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I'm interested to see kind of some of the barriers removed between virtual spaces. Oftentimes, I don't know how to describe this. 
I like the idea of a persistent virtual avatar between whether it's games or some other experience. I don't know. They There's like a Horizons workspace, which is like for a virtual office. And um, while the idea of that being tied up in, within Facebook is really kind of scary, the the idea of having this persistent avatar that that I can take through, especially games, different games, and maybe even have some of the things that I used in one game present in the other, that's really neat. Um, I, so I guess I like to imagine some of the cool experiences that can be created in the metaverse from the standpoint of looking at the metaverse as this recreational um, area. And all I hope is that it's that there's an implementation that is good and that is not, driven solely by profit. Yeah. Uh, one that exists and then we'll, we can hop off of this is uh Decentraland. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, it's a decentralized metaverse type experience. Mm. Um, and it's tied up a lot in like cryptocurrency and, uh, NFT. That's how you, purchase virtual land is through um a cryptocurrency and nft but it's has this interesting concept where like the there's a elected almost like community council is the closest thing that i can compare it to Mm -hmm. that decides the future of the platform Mm. and it's under a non-profit and at least that implementation of a metaverse is close to what I think might be a good implementation. Okay. Yeah. So there you have it. I'm I'm still I'm still a little skeptical of the idea of NFTs too, but <laughs> but yeah. that's just because I'm an yeah. old man. Uh, I, I don't like uh, I don't like new things. <laughs> yeah, I think the only NFTs that that I'm going to own for a while are the ones that I right click save as. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Well, I'd love to know what you guys think about all this. Um, we actually have our email working. Send us an email, show at offtopical.net. Just so that our audience knows, uh, you know, we were getting on every episode and I was asking Gardner, like, hey, did we get an email? <laughs> And he's like, no. And I was like, man, I, yeah, there were a couple of segments we did that I, I really thought we'd hear something. Yeah. So I was getting, I was super surprised. Yeah. Uh, turns out that maybe there were so- thousands of silent screams. <laughs> yeah. Unheard. I mean, I had the email inbox set up. I just didn't have the MX record set in the in the thing. And I'm like, I don't understand why we're not getting any email like i have it in my in my thunderbird i had it all set up and everything um there you have it yeah
So, uh, okay, let's talk about uh, the the thing that I wanted to talk about, which is Linus Sebastian. Uh, if you're not familiar, who are you? Uh, but Linus Sebastian is uh, the the guy behind Linus Tech Tips, and um, him and uh, Luke Lafreniere have been like following the Steam Deck, and they've been talking about and very excited about uh, the Steam Deck, actually. So Luke and Linus decided that they were going to switch over to Linux on their primary, uh, you know, daily driver, right? On their primary rig as their daily operating system. So the idea was that they weren't going to like ask for help from, you know, any of the Linux experts on their team. They were just going to do it themselves to see what the authentic experience of switching from Windows to Linux was like, uh, as a, uh, as a normal person, right? Well, it turns out that Linus, uh, chose, it looks like Manjaro with KDE, which is like the default for Manjaro, right? Like if you go to their website, they do ha- have multiple flavors, but KDE seems to be like their primary, um, desktop environment. I have an issue with that. And I don't want to be one of these, freaking like neckbeard armchair you know pundits who's just saying you know oh he made the wrong choice if he had done this and that he would have this is this is just from my personal experience and and having helped other people like most a lot of my friends who are like windows power users come over to the linux side of things right and i've found that like a lot of the uh of the windows power users who are experienced with the windows way of doing things Look at the options, look at the screenshots and read some articles and say, KDE looks like it will be a lot like Windows and that's why I'm going to go with it, right? But what I have found is that that is very frequently the wrong decision for most of the people that I know. I feel like KDE is the best desktop environment for people who are already familiar with the Linux way of doing things. And who uh, are not afraid to get their hands dirty in the terminal or who have experience enough to know how to Google to find the results, Uh, you know, to say I'm having this issue. Um, They know how to articulate what the issue is so that they can find the answer on the Internet. And because of that, a lot of the newbies that I have helped bring over to Linux, if they start with KDE, they end up having a very bad time. Um, I've seen like, I have a friend who just switched over to, uh, uh, to, to, to Linux and he switched over using KDE and be it the AMD drivers or like just like the weirdness of KDE and like the, the strange decisions that they make when it comes to like widgets and QT and all these things. Just end up, he has like all of these issues that I have literally never experienced being uh, a, a tried and true dyed in the wool gnome guy, right? Um, and it, it's, it's kind of bananas to me, like how very different our experiences have been as a, as a new Linux user. I mean, I, I joined Linux. I started using like Linux as my daily driver in, uh, I want to say Ubuntu seven 
right? I think it was Ubuntu 7 or 8. And mm-hmm. I, that's like, that was around the time, that was in the GNOME 2 era. And at that time, you know, when, when GNOME started to transition to 3, I was, and, and Ubuntu moved over to Unity, I was like kind of, uh, a nomad. Like I didn't know where I belonged and I tried all kinds of different distros and KDE. When I tried it, I was still kind of a noob at the time and KDE provided like very little in the way of, um, feedback in terms of like, this is what's something weird has happened and something's wrong and figure it out. Like, it, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but essentially I have found that KDE is the wrong choice for people who are not familiar with how Linux works. Um, and so the idea what? of like Linus coming in and, and trying that as his primary, as his first go, it kind of boggles my mind. What's uh, the default on the Steam Deck? Is it KDE? The default on the Steam Deck is KDE. Um, what is what is it specifically? Like, is it... It, uh, sorry guys, I have not used KDE in a long time. Yeah, is it, what's what's this plasma stuff? Is there plasma on the on the Steam decks? Yeah, so plasma. I whenever I have said KDE, I'm talking about KDE plasma. Um, that's basically KDE is like you know the name of the project, and then plasma is like the name of the desktop environment. Um, so. Okay. I, okay, I understand. I understand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the 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 thought of um and, and I, I'm not actually uh up in arms about Valve's decision here actually because um truthfully I don't think most people are going to be leaving big picture mode or whatever they call it like the Steam Deck UI. I agree. And I those agree. who do are probably only ever going to open up a web browser. Right. Like there, I don't think a lot of uh, maybe install Lutris. Right. Um, and I think that Valve will probably have a way to do something like that that doesn't involve like opening up the package manager and doing all of that extra crap. Right. Like I think that it's going to be pretty straightforward. And, and the people who are going to be leaving big picture mode and trying to do other things like emulators are people who are either going to be following a guide. Or they're already going to know how to do it, right? So I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. But the idea of like someone daily driving KDE, like KDE Plasma, sorry, uh, <laughs> as their first experience with daily driving Linux, I think that that is uh, a mistake. And, and, and it's one that I don't think most people would, uh, necessarily recognize. Because they don't have the experience to recognize it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Listen, my recommendation would be if I, if someone asked me today, I want to get into Linux, what do I do? Yeah. What do I install? It wouldn't even take a second for me to make a recommendation. Yeah. And I would say install elementary. Elementary. It's interesting. Okay. It's going to be easy. Yep. It's It has a bunch of handlers for the Windowisms and the Mac OS-isms that you're used to. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you download a .deb, which some of the internet will give you, it has this thing called sideload, which just 
it prompts you. It tells you why you might not want to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, just install random deb off the internet. But then you said you push proceed anyway, and you're done. And then you can do that for any random dot deb you want. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a uh, app center or you know an app store that is that meets, I think, user expectations coming from other platforms. Um, and it's it's pretty nice. And then finally, uh, there's not a lot of complicated menus. They're they're very thoughtful about their settings and about kind of where to find things. And so much so that you can see that GNOME, the newest GNOME 40, you know, lifted a bunch of stuff from elementary. And that's fine. I think GNOME should do that. Yeah. Element uh, elementary's desktop is a downstream of GNOME. So, yeah. Uh for that reason, whenever I I did watch um the little like podcast they have where Linus talked about his experience and I was disappointed that uh in looking for a desktop environment and a distro that he chose <laughs> the ones that I would not have chosen mm. at all. Yeah. I, I there's a couple so if I were to have to uh recommend to someone uh a distro, I would probably uh, see I, I have a couple different thoughts. Pop OS is great. I love Pop OS. Um, I think that it does a lot of the work for you, right? Like, especially, uh, having the two variants of, you know, uh, the Radeon versus the, uh, or the AMD versus the NVIDIA, right? That's um, a good point. That, that, good point. that takes away so much of the, the ambiguity of, uh, you know, the idea of like, oh, yeah, we have to have, uh, you have to install it and then you have to install your drivers, but it doesn't work like it does on windows. Like that's a huge problem. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I elementary is good. Um, and, and I like everything that you said. It actually, when, you know, as you were saying it, it, it all made a lot of sense to me. Um, the thing is I would probably recommend Manjaro with Gnome. Uh, Manjaro has some issues, I, like, but it also like comes pre-installed with Steam, um, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like the, the Windows way of doing things is just so backwards to me. Like having been a Linux user for like ten years, it's like you go to a website, you download an EXE, and you install it. And yeah. so, like, coming from that way of doing things. Like the package manager doesn't make any sense. You know, where are all of my partitions? All of my partitions are now, you know, mount points. Like, what is that? Where's my C drive? Right. Like yeah. these are the kind of things that I think, um, you know, man, uh, GNOME handles pretty well. Um, yep. Manjaro handles that. Like if you take away like that weird ambiguity of like where is you know how do i install steam oh it's already installed i don't have to worry about it i like that my my problem is that my manjaro's underpinnings are arch and 
I I say this as someone who's using Arch at this very second. Mm. The computer I'm sitting at is Arch, and I set it all up exactly to my standards, exactly how I wanted it. But I feel like every time I go to troubleshoot an issue, troubleshooting on Arch is a different experience than troubleshooting on a Debian or Ubuntu, especially Ubuntu-based distribution. Yeah. Because the the distributions that are based on Ubuntu or Ubuntu itself are the documentation is generally a different level than what the Arch documentation is. And that's not a knock against an Arch Mm. documentation. The Arch documentation is amazing, but it also assumes a level of technical competence and a familiarity with Linux that I just don't think that most people coming from Windows have. And that second part, especially so, because I think Linus probably does have a very good technical (laughs) literacy uh, when it comes to most of the concepts that would exist inside the Arch Wiki. But when you read certain commands or you see certain tools in the Arch Wiki and you've been using Linux for, well, since I was like, what, like 14 Mm -hmm. and I'm 32 now, like... There's just a lot of random things that I know that I don't think the person who hasn't spent the last, what, 18 years or whatever Mm -hmm. using Linux knows. There's just all this random knowledge that I have where I read something and I realize, like, what this is going to entail. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I just, uh, I'm skeptical that that's the right place to start. Maybe, maybe that will improve a lot because there's going to be a ton of documentation around using arch with the steam deck. Yeah. See, that's aimed more at the users that were, that we're talking about. Well, here's the thing. You you say that you say that Debian's like, uh, documentation is, is like better for beginners, but like, I don't necessarily think that's true. Like, as someone who like you know cut his teeth on ubuntu like the idea of like finding answers to my questions and knowing which one was applicable to ubuntu like that was a lot more difficult but like if someone needs help with with like running manjaro like pretty much anything in the arch wiki is going to be applicable and all you need to do is like follow like the guide in the arch wiki. Usually, I mean, the arch wiki is like the definitive place for pretty much anything that you need to troubleshoot. I feel so. I don't know, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm just, cur- I'm super curious to actually, I need to make sure I've seen the whole, uh, podcast because i've been posting them on youtube of um linus's experience i think i only saw two two clips yeah out of that and uh i need to see what else he said could you kind of like maybe break it down like some of the experiences that he has had uh in maybe the the cliff's notes version and and uh then maybe i can tell you if i if i still agree with what i said earlier yeah um, well, so one of the things that he was talking about, I, I don't, I don't remember everything, but like one of the things that he was talking about was like, 
uh, he, he has an NVIDIA graphics card. And so he used the NVIDIA drivers and the NVIDIA drivers on Linux are junk. They're really bad. Um, they still are. And, uh, the idea, uh, like he had a KDE running and things would just like randomly break, like, you know, moving, moving a window around would cause it to like kind of flash or, or be behave in a weird and unexpected way. And it all boils down to KDE at that point, I think, um, uh, well, I'm trying to think what were the other things that he, I, I don't remember the rest of the stuff, but like, oh, oh, a lot of it came down to hardware too, because he's running some pretty, like pretty cutting edge hardware. And, uh, yeah. most of that hardware doesn't have, um, support for Linux from the vendor, which means that it relies on the kernel <laughs> to, and you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, stuff just doesn't get added to the kernel like uh you know a stream deck right like <laughs> yeah whatever whatever else he has and oh there was also like some refresh rate issues uh free sync uh or not free sync but uh g-sync issues that he was having um a couple other things i mean a lot of it a lot of his experience that he had comes down to the fact that he's running exotic hardware but a lot of the other things, like the, if it's not, if it doesn't have to do with the exotic hardware, it has to do with the fact that he's running KDE, in my opinion. Yeah. It's crazy how much just past experience changes how you even select your hardware. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. uh, I, uh, when I heard, I did hear that part of the, the podcast and I, uh, I was thinking, like, why does he have so much exotic hardware? Other than that, he gets a lot of, you right. know, this stuff for his show. And then I realized, oh, I haven't been selecting stuff that's like unique or novel for a while because I'm pretty sure it's not going to work <laughs> correctly. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so my my build, my PC that I have upstairs uh, as my like gaming PC is it was built, you know, to run Linux. And so I chose things that I, I knew I didn't even really even have to look it up. I just, you know, you see certain things and you're like, oh, that's not going to work that well. And no, I know this will work well. And, uh, and so it's a powerful PC, but it does not have, yeah, like, as you put it, really exotic hardware. It's very just the facts, ma'am. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's a good point. And it's, it's interesting too. Um, I try to think about the like psychology psychology behind it's sometimes it's hard to imagine having an experience like his for me, because I haven't had one like that for so long. Right. But when I think about all the decisions made going into, you know, setting up a new computer and try or trying out a distro, I realize that I'm accounting for these things. I just don't realize that I'm accounting for them anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's, it's interesting. Like the, the perspective that we have, um, cause like I remember when I, I had like this HP Envy laptop with Beats Audio, right? And yeah. I bought that thing. Like that was like the f- second machine that I had like been running as my what daily year? Linux driver, uh, 2009. 
2000. I'm pretty sure I had that same exact laptop. Big old fat thing. This thing was like probably yep. three inches deep, like when the lid was closed. So, yep. uh, so yeah, so I bought this machine and I had been running a ThinkPad before that, right? It was a, I think it was an, a Lenovo ThinkPad. Maybe it was IBM. I can't remember, but it was a ThinkPad nonetheless. And so most everything worked just fine on the ThinkPad, right? I get this HP. Yep. The Wi-Fi didn't work. The yep. speakers didn't work. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Pulse Audio just did not detect any of the audio hardware. Um, the, the, the built-in Radeon graphics chip, like the integrated one, um, yep. didn't have, like, you had to go in and actually do the, uh, the, um, what, what, what was that even thing? The X config stuff? Like, and yeah. I had no idea how to do that. But I can tell you yeah. that I was dedicated to using Linux at this point. And so I learned. <laughs> I learned how to get all of it working. Um, the next machine I had after that was a System76 laptop. Because I was like, I remember what happened back then. And I am not going to go through that pain again. You know? Um, and that's yeah. one of the nice things about uh, a lot of the hardware now. Is like it's all kind of been normalized. And so you're not yeah. going to have like these, uh, Wi-Fi chips that don't work on Linux. They, they mostly just do. And the audio hardware, similarly, it's like, it's, it all mostly just works. Um, when you start getting into like exotic sound cards, like sound cards that are only supported on Windows and, you know, you, you add them after the fact, you know, they're, they're, uh, yeah. aftermarket or whatever you want to call it. Then you start running into issues where it's, you know, you're running a crapshoot, basically, if it's going to work on Linux or not. Um, yeah. You can, like, do a little bit of research. You can say, you can Google and say, hey, is this is this card with this model number going to work on Linux? Most of the time, you'll get a good answer. But then you'll have, like, um, like a, a, a different card revision. Suddenly, it doesn't work, you know? Like, everybody else says, oh, yeah, it works. But if you have Rev 3 of, of you know, the SN970 or whatever the heck it's going to be, all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. And it's like, why? And it's so frustrating. And that's why I'm like hopeful that with the Steam Deck proliferating, um, and with, with the rumored other Valve console that they're developing, um, that's going to bring Linux to the fore and allow, um, companies like Elgato and, uh, Avermedia and all these companies that make Linux only hardware, or I'm sorry, Windows only hardware. Maybe they'll bring their drivers to Linux. That would yeah. be yeah. awesome. That would be amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, you know my thoughts on this. Yeah. I think once people get their hands on the Steam Deck, there's just gonna be, at the very least, so much tinkering that a lot of random stuff comes over just because there are now you know, at least hundreds of thousands of people who might be doing something interesting with their Steam Deck, such as plugging in peripherals of different types and things like that. Um, But yeah, I, so what, what do we think, what is your prediction for how Linus's uh, experience is going to turn out here? I was his uh, counterpart, um, whose name I'm blanking on, Luke was not having, yeah, he was not having the same level of difficulty um, yeah. and seemed pretty optimistic about stuff. But 
but Linus, uh, he sounded like he was pretty, uh, he was a little deflated, I think, whenever, yeah. at least the parts I heard. I, I So I suspect that uh, Linus will eventually switch back to Windows, and probably before the Steam Deck even launches, if I'm being quite honest. Like, um, and I don't blame him, because like if you if you spend thousands of dollars on your machine and then you put Linux on it and very little of that, the, your investment works now. Like I don't blame him for, for wanting to switch back. Right. Like the thing is, I think Luke will probably stick with it for a while after Linus, um, just to gloat. (laughs) Um, but I think that Linus, like, I think that if they go at it again, Linus will probably have Anthony help him. And, uh, if you're not familiar, Anthony's like the resident Linux expert at LTT. I do know Anthony. Yeah. I do know Anthony. I've met him. He's such a cool dude. Like he's so chill. And it's like, where did you meet him? I met him at system 76 in 2019 at the third super fan event. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he, he's, he's very smart. He knows a lot about Linux and he'll be able to figure all of this stuff out for Linus. Um, but at the same time, that's some, that's kind of like a privilege of being Linus. And that's why he didn't have Anthony help him originally. So, yeah, I, I think that like maybe down the road, Linus will – I think they might build like a, a Steam Deck PC. And, you know, that's probably where that will exist for them, you know, is on a dedicated hardware for that purpose. Um, running gotcha. probably Steam OS. Uh, but I, you know, I, and I think Luke, like I said, Luke will probably stick with it because he already had experience with Linux as a daily driver. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Man. We, we would love to know what everybody out there thinks. Um, what, how do you think that the, uh, the, the Linux challenge at LTT is going to play out? Let us know. Send us an email, show at offtopical.net. Um, cool, man. Well, I think that's, uh, that's the whole episode. What do you think? I think so. I, it's, it's, it's weird. How do we end it now that we've just ranted for an hour? Uh, I guess we <laughs> end it by telling them where we're at and telling them how they can talk to us during the week. Of course, you can email us at show at offtopical.net. Yeah. You can also get me at, uh, on the Fediverse, not the Metaverse. The Fediverse, um, at Ryan Lee Sipes at Mastodon.social. And, uh, you can tweet at me. Maybe I'll see it. Uh, it's at Ryan Lee Sipes. Yeah. And I am at Gardner Bryant on, uh, on, uh, Twitter. Yeah. That's the word. And I'm also Gardner you, Bryant on YouTube. Do you want to plug any of your YouTube videos? I feel like you should do this time. Like, just say, like, the most recent one you did. And tell people where they can check it out. I guess they know your channel. But. Yeah. So I got a video coming out, uh, and it's about the, um, the, the, the Steam Deck, uh, news that they just came out with about like how they're grading, um, how they're grading games on Steam to be compatible mm-hmm. with the deck. And, uh, I think that that's very important. And that's something that I've been asking them to do for years. So they finally listened to me. <laughs> um, well, we know you've got their ear. You you know you just called up Gabe and you were like, hey. Gabe, you gotta listen. this out. 
Um, but yeah, that's that's the next video coming out on my channel. So I, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, I think that's do it. That's going to do it for this uh, episode of the Off Topical Podcast. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, send us an email because the email's working now, and uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Yep. See you next time. Bye.